Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than getting spooked out by the X-Files. Love the X-Files. What was your favourite episode? I love Tombs. First season. Go and check it out. It still holds up. My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast. Thank you very much for joining us as per as the kids say, uh, for this, uh, a full-length episode away from this week in the 90s, all full of 90s football goodness just for you. So thank you very much, as I said, for joining us along for the ride. If you want more, there are many ways you can get more 1990s football out of us, mainly on the social. If you don't already, follow us on Twitter, at AK90s, and on Instagram. Yes, we're on Instagram now, at AK90sPod. We're trying to build up that uh, that little sector, so if you are not an Instagram person or a subscriber or whatever it is these days they call it, get on there, follow AK90sPod. I'm trying to make them slightly different to the Twitter feed, so um, if you follow one and think, oh, I need to follow the other, but I do try and put different things on each of the um, social media feeds as I'm, I'm trying to you know, keep up all the 90s goodness as much as I can. We are actually on Facebook as well, but... I don't know about you, but I've kind of given Facebook a rest, especially this week. Look, this is a bit of a grind in my gears, and I'm probably going to sort of eat humble pie on this and become a complete hypocrite in about two and a half years. But I opened Facebook the other day, and I don't go on on it as much as I used to, if I'm really honest. I don't really post on it as well. But it's the first week of September, and all you see is people's offspring in front of doors in school uniform. Now, I get it. It's a very proud moment, and I'm sure when my daughter is ready for school in a year or so, I'll be very proud and I'll be taking a hundred pictures. I just don't need to see a hundred of different children on Facebook in their school uniform. It's just, you just go through the timeline. I immediately closed Facebook and went, you know what? I'll come back again soon. Um, That's my gripe out of the way anyway. Um, But do follow us on there anyway, if you are a Facebook person still, because we are on there and it kind of links to our Twitter feed. So there is a presence, but as I said, social media, Twitter, Instagram, give us a follow. Somebody who does follow us, on Twitter, and I have to give a shout out to this guy. Um, been a big fan of the show for a long time, and we found out that we're a bit of a kindred spirit. Uh, me and it's uh, Aza McKenzie at AS at Aza Mick, really. Um, he tweeted me. He tweets on the show a lot, and he's into his kits. He's a big Man City fan. Um, he's been tweeting about some shirts as well. Have anyone seen those weird Hawaiian shirts that have been going around that have got like football sponsors on them? I don't. I can't make up my mind if I like them or not. But Aza's got a lot of them. He tweeted uh, a couple of weeks ago after one of our This Week in the 90s shows. Um, we've, we've always realised that we've got, obviously, 90s football in common, but just a little bit more. Um, and he tweeted, getting weird now. I'm born June 1983, like myself. Police were number one for both our, both our births. Um, if you missed that, me, Joel and Matt were discussing who was number one on our birthdays. And mine was the police. Um, Everywhere you go. That one. The one that P. Diddy did or Puff Daddy did later on. Uh, his wife was also born in 1986, as my wife was as well. And he lives for the England Cowardly Lion kit and the USA 94, as do I do as well. So, yeah, me and Aza are uh, kindred spirits, as you say. Big fan of the show. Thank you very much for that shout-out. Somebody else who um, is a big fan of the show, and I'm a big, big, big fan of his as well. I've mentioned him many, many times on here. He's the great Hallie Inc. Now, if you've never seen this guy, he does brilliant, brilliant illustrations, uh, normally kit um, related, but they, he has sort of sprung out into sort of mascots and things like that. Um, I've bought a lot of artwork from him as well as some badges and stuff. His latest one, though, you want to get your Mitch around this. I've got mine. I haven't tweeted it yet, but I will tweet it. He's done a design, A3 design of the best kits from 1989 
1999. So 10 years of top flight kits. And to tell you honest, there are some belters in there. Every kit that you can possibly imagine is on this kit artwork. So go and check it out. Um, he's at Halley Inc. Um, I think it's Halley Inc. Oh, you'll see all the, uh, the details for his website in there. But I could spend a fortune on that website i've already spent a, a fair bit already but i could absolutely um, my wall office walls could be covered in this guy's work but um i'll be trying to get him on we'll get him on the show as well to talk about his love for doing that sort of thing because i get there's a 90s twinge to his work oh I, I i see that that's why it appeals to me so we'll have to get him on the show very very soon but on to today's show yes full length that means it's not this week in the 90s and to be honest we haven't done one this week um just because wasn't the juiciest week, so I thought I'd give it a rest and give you a full-length show instead. And it's a jam-packed show as well. We are picking an 11! Woo! I love picking an 11. I used to spend my days when I was working at the news shop and newspaper in Stacey's London, emailing two of my best friends, and we would just come up, we'd get in the morning. I should have been doing work, granted. I should have been doing some um, selling adverts, as I was doing at the time. But instead, we'd go, right, this is the theme today, and we'd all pick an 11, and it'd last all day, and that was kind of how we got through our work days. So when I do it now for the pod, it's brilliant. I'm kind of a seasoned veteran at picking 11s, but this 11 is courtesy, and very much thank you, to one of our guests on the show. Uh, you may remember, if you're a long-time listener of Alive and Kicking, you'll know the name, you'll know the voice when you hear him. He's been on the show quite a few times, but not for a while, which is something we need to change and we'll get him on more regularly in the future. Andrew Rayburn, um, he's a freelance journalist, mainly for the BBC. He tweeted me uh, about doing an uncapped 11 of the 1990s. And I and a little light bulb went in my head, well, it's England week, isn't it? It's international week. Um, we're all celebrating England's glorious returns to, to Wembley and celebrating their World Cup as well as looking to the nation's UEFA Nations thing that nobody really understands. So why not give an international flavour to this episode of Alive and Kicking? So yes, myself, Andrew Rayburn, and of course Joel Young, we each are picking our uncapped 11 of the 1990s. Now when we do these 11s, it's usually rules, but the kind of Ron seal on this one, isn't it? It completely says what it does on the tin. So players that we thought may have been in line or are unlucky to not get an England cap during the 1990s. Steve Bruce and 10 others, basically. Because <laughs> Steve Bruce is obviously the um, the beacon for this theme. Uh, so we go into that on the show today. And I asked you, yeah, that, that I did. I asked you guys on the Twitter feed who you would pick in your uncapped 11. And to be honest, you guys went crazy for it, which was very much appreciated. Mainly because I think Steve Walsh um, liked the tweet. So um, Steve Walsh is someone we do mention on the show. And probably someone who was unlucky not to get a uh, England cap in the 1990s. Such were the choice. I think that we find that when we go through it, there's so much choice that England actually had compared to uh, what they have now in terms of, you know, you hear these rumours and speculation about the likes of James Madison and uh, Phil Foden getting in the England squad despite the fact they've hardly played any Premier League games. It's quite ridiculous where compared to the 90s. And as we talked about um, when we did a, the last show of this week in the 90s, Robbie Fowler scored 30-odd goals in 94-95 didn't actually get an England call up to a year later. Never happened now. Uh, let's go a few, few AEs though. Um, it's uh, So who, who do they think, the uh, AK90s listeners, who do you guys think should get a... Uh, cool, I've got quite a few replies here, so let's pick out a few. Uh, James Barney at Jane Barney B says, Andy Ritchie has to be the best player to never receive a full cap. Doesn't get mentioned on the show, but good shout. I assume you're an Oldham fan. Um, Dicko at Dicko1884. Before Turkey got their hands on him, Muzzy Izzet should definitely have had a call-up. He'd walk into today's squad. I agree. 
We've got a shout for Super Kevin Campbell from Liam Dowling at Goon082. Uh, Jason Lee, I don't think we can have that one, Bishop Villard. Uh, Johnny Dretcho says, If you look between the 1992 and 3 and 93-94 seasons, I'm surprised Dean's Holdsworth didn't get a look in, scored 19 and 17 goals. Darren Panmenta, I hope that said it right, Darren, at Day, uh, Daz P1919 says, Best defender not to win a cap by a long while. How did he not? Was better than Pallister, in my opinion. Talking about Steve Bruce. Danny Taylor at AFA Manager says, Tony Coton, Alan Wright. Darren Huckabee wasn't bad for a spell either. Um, then we've got Genty at Julian Gent. Easy Steve Agridovich. Hmm, he may get mentioned on today's show. Jim at Chef Jim. Mike Marsh, John Beresford, Lee Chapman and Chris Fairclough. Uh, more than a game, 66, says David Hillier, circa 1991, and hate it, Howes and Spurs and Vinnie Samways, Ian Crook at Norwich, Stuart Trolley, another shout for Stu, uh, Stu, uh, Steve Walsh, can't talk today, Damon Jordan, at Damon J. Jordan, gives a shout out to Alan Stubbs, uh, Guy Jenkinson, uh, Guy ADJ, says Scott Sellers, former guest of the show, of course, Dicko again, says Kevin Campbell, uh, Hopper and Son, at C. Preday, says Darren Peacock, Jim Boberell at Gullet Fan FC says Chris Perry. Uh, another shout from Steve Grizovich from Charlie Brown. A couple more we'll just go through. Russell Cox at Russ WWFC. Julian Dix might have had a few caps in another era. And then lastly, uh, Ryan McWrestling at Wrestling underscore Maniac. Rod Wallace should have gotten a game under Taylor, but with so many strikers at the time, it was hard for him to get in. Oh, and uh, Lewis Slaven there, another shout for Julian Dix. I will admit, no spoilers alert, there are a few of those names that maybe get talked about on the show today, but stay tuned to find out who just gets in our Uncut 11. We've also got an interview today. Some might even say unlucky, may have got a sniff of at least a B cap or even under 21 cap earlier in his career. Former crew, Norwich, Derby, Barnsley and Blackburn striker, Ashley Wald is today's guest on Alive and Kicking. So sit back, get your pen and pencils out, because if you want to pick your own 11 of Uncut players, then tweet us at AK90s. Either do a little screen grab of your notes or literally just write it in your in the in the tweet and uh, we'll retweet those. But let's get to see who we are picking. And I try not to be QPR biased. There's only one, all right? Enjoy today's show. Here's our Uncapped 11 from Alive and Kicking. Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Here we are again then, another full-length episode for your ears, full of 90s goodness. And as I said in my intro, it's International Week, um, so we're delving into an 11, all we bloody love doing an 11 here on Alive and Kicking. Um, so we're picking the team, well not just myself, me and my two guests. Firstly, he's always here, he's had the boiler man in and uh, he's done up the place. He's even given them a latte. Oh yeah, you can take the boy out of bar, eh? He's currently at 11 Sports doing their social media stuff. Joel Young, how you doing? I'm all right. Yeah, the latte. I think he seemed quite happy with my latte skills, the uh, the boiler repair man. So that was good. That was a, a happy moment today. I always like I always feel like when somebody comes like that, you know, like a real man <laughs> who comes to do real man things, like somebody who comes to fix a wardrobe or whatever, you know, I, I always feel like 
I've got to do something to kind of ingratiate myself to them because I'm really not that masculine. Yeah, no, um, I'm, I'm the same. It's so yeah, I always awkward about offering the drink thing. It's like, is there a rule how long they're going to stay? Do they want a drink? Can he be asked to make a cup of tea? But, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I'm always call the guy. That's my mantra. I call the. I mean, the boiler man. You got to, but call the guy. But apart from that, I uh, yeah, always. I like just that. wanted to hide. I just wanted to go somewhere and sort of hide in bed or something while the the man was here <laughs> doing manly things. <laughs> How's eleven sports treating you? It's all right, actually. It's quite good fun. I was treated to uh, Barcelona eight, Huesca two. Uh, on Sunday night, I think it was, um, and Huesca scored first, to be honest, so that was quite good fun. Uh, but I had to watch seven games on um, Sunday, and that left me a bit square-eyed, I've got to admit, so I'm quite happy with the break. I'm currently writing an A to Z of La Liga and an A to Z of Serie A, just for a little social media thing we're wow. going to do. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, the, the, the obvious suspect letters were sort of all right in those two leagues, but then I got stuck on L. I had to put Lineker in. Oh, so it's ever, not just current, it's ever. Yeah, yeah, just like, yeah, well, just like a rough guide. A so. rough guide, yeah. yeah. Um, L, Lineker, yeah, that works, yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Oh, that's yeah. fine, yeah, okay. Um, joining us as well, um, for the first time in a way too long since we've had him on, um, I remember him for his Aston Villa coloured slippers, or was it? Something like that, we'll get him to tell us. He's currently freelancing for the BBC as well as a local commentator where he is. He's an Aston Villa fan, as I mentioned. Andrew Rayburn, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Ash. It's good to be here. Was it slippers you had? Villa kit slippers? Am I remembering that right? Um, it, it was slippers. It, they weren't official Aston Villa slippers. They were just slippers like the Aston Villa. That that black and green and red away kit from the early 90s. That was, uh, the Muller Rice one. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, so I remember that. That's, that struck me this morning. I was like, something about that Muller Rice kit. That was a lovely kit. Have you for my wardrobe again? Oh, that's what, <laughs> that's what I like to hear. Um, right, so what we've done, yeah, we've picked an 11. We do like doing 11s, as I said, on here. And um, are there any really rules to this one? I think the, the standout rule is what, what the 11 is. This is going to be an 11 of players that weren't capped for England during the 1990s, but possibly deserve to, or we can at least state an argument that they might have got a sniff in there or two across the decade. Um, this is kind of in conjunction because England are playing this week. There's been a lot of talk about certain players getting caps and stuff. Um, and you may remember from last week's show, we were talking about Robbie Fowler, who waited a whole year after he'd scored 30-odd goals in one season. And then that's to wait a whole year to get a full cap for England. And these days, it seems like you can just breathe onto a pitch if you're English and you're, you're getting a cap. But Gareth Southgate obviously resisted the urge to blood people like James Madison and Jordan Sancho and Phil Foden. And he stuck with them. But this is talking 90s. Let's keep it 90s. Um, boys, I think we all when we do 11s, we usually start, you know, as per usual, at the goalkeeper. But there's one obvious candidate here. I've already tweeted a picture out of him on the uh, social this morning. The kind of the beacon of this theme we've done, Steve Bruce. Andrew, talk to me about Steve Bruce. Why? What is the curious story of Steve? Why did not Steve Bruce get a cap for England in the 90s? What, why do you think, Andrew? Well, as an Aston Villa fan, when people say to say to me, talk to me about Steve Bruce, I normally have to use unbroadcastable language. Um, um, we're talking about Sheffield like Wednesday, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's baffling, really. I mean, I suppose you can look at the other, um, the other you know, defenders who played for England uh, during that period. Obviously, Tony Adams was the, a leader of men 
um, in the um, in that 90s period. But then, of course, in you know 1996, um, you know people like Steve Howie were getting England caps. So uh, uh, Steve Bruce managed to miss out despite three Premier League titles, three FA Cups. Um, I think he was also named in the Premier League team yeah. of the decade, and that was uh, the first ten years when that was done. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, he should have done. He should have. He should have won England caps, but for some reason. Overlooked by Venables and Hoddle and the rest. Yeah. Well, certainly Venables, anyway. Yeah, and certainly Graham Taylor. Uh, Joe, it's a bit of an anomaly, isn't it? Because Andrew mentioned there the likes of Steve Howard, but you look at some of the other names I've got in England cap during this era who played in his position. Colin Cooper, Neil Ruddock, John Scales, Keith Curl, Gary Mabbott, but no Steve Bruce. What What was it? Graham Taylor didn't fancy him? What, where was it in your eyes? Well, I think that Bobby Robson said later on that... Um, he should have picked him and he wished he had picked him. And I think, didn't he get called up to a squad when he was 34, but he thought that it was out of sympathy rather than um, rather than out of anything that he'd actually done in that particular time frame. Am I right in thinking? Yeah. I've definitely I've, read that somewhere. Yeah, there's a quote actually. It was under Terry Venables. He said, uh, Venables rang me and he said, I want to give you a cap, but he declined. My best mate, Brian Robson, was Terry Venables' assistant and he was desperate for me to get a cap. I turned it down. I was close to 35 and said, I'm sorry, I'd rather not have an international career than just a sympathy cap. So that he, it, it did seem like that at the time. Do you think Terry Venables, 35, maybe was a little bit like a, of a well done to you, you should have got this earlier? Um, but... I think so, definitely, yeah. I mean, I can understand his reluctance in, in wanting to take it. It's, it's, you know, it's like, it's, a, it's the most ridiculous sympathy vote of all time, though, isn't it, surely? Yeah, especially, I mean, you think Gary Pallister, who played alongside for the majority of his Man United career, played for uh, throughout the 90s, as we mentioned last week. He was in the 98 team for Glenn Hoddle's first England match, and he played under uh, Venables, played under Taylor. And they, as a twosome, it's weird they never use them both together. It's a, it's a very strange anomaly. He did have one England B cap for Malta in 1987. Um, when he had been at Norwich, when he was been at Norwich, so um, yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a strange one. Three managers ignored him. Um, he did say uh, at one point when he was part of the uh, England under twenty one squad, uh, Bobby Robson liked him, but uh, Graham Taylor, he kind of got the feeling didn't. Who was under twenty one and manager at the time? He said, "I'll give you the captaincy, but it's not my choice. It's Bobby's. For me, he'd never be a captain." And in other words, I've been given the biggest accolade I've ever had. The manager in charge and was telling me I wasn't good enough. In his eyes, to have that role, it was obvious he didn't like me. And when he was England manager, I didn't play again. So it was obviously Graham Ta- a Graham Taylor thing. He didn't really rate Steve Bruce. Very, very odd um, for that one. Even Mike Phelan got an England cap. He was also yeah. here. He, scored, he also scored 19 goals in 1991, I found out while I was doing this, Steve Bruce. Which is ridiculous Crikey. for a defender. I'm not sure. I'm the, I need to double-check that because I'm, I'm just not sure if... Um, yeah, in true fashion from that famous clip, my daughter's just walked in. <laughs> well, if you can hear that in the background, that famous clip that went around last year, she's off, she's, she stumbled off again anyway. Um, so Steve Bruce is in all our teams. Um, we'll never get down to the bottom of why he was never picked by any of those England managers, but he is the most famous case when we're talking about uncut plays of the eleven. So let's start way back at the beginning then. Uh, Joel, coming for you first, who is starting as your number one in the uncut eleven? Well, I nearly went for the same guy who I said in my un- uh, my underrated eleven, who was Shaka Hislop. Uh, but then I did a bit of digging around, and I find this absolutely remarkable that John Lukic never got an England cap. John Lukic is that your is that your pick? John Lukic is my pick. Damn yeah. it, damn it, match. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are we there? Are we the same? We are the same, straight off the bat. Go on, yeah. Tell me about John Lukic. It's just bizarre the fact that the man played for Arsenal and Leeds and, and won league titles and kept clean sheets and didn't even get a sniff. 
I mean, just an, uh, just a really, really, really outstanding keeper. You know, you're probably going to say not as not as good as Seaman, probably, but certainly on the level of Tim Flowers, who played quite a lot of games for England. So it just seems strange that throughout the eighties, when he was flying, and then he won he won the league with Leeds, didn't he? Yeah, in the final team, yeah. first division season, it just seems odd that he would never ever even get a sniff. That is so peculiar. Yeah, no, I, I I found that as it was one that just didn't occur to me. It was like I assumed he may have got a, a cursory cap here or there, but no, he didn't. Again, one England B cap as a sub against Algeria in 1990. As you said, he won the league in 1992. And there's that famous story that when uh, Arsenal signed uh, David Seaman, the, all the fans were singing, we all agree that Lukic is better than Seaman, which is how it all started. It's kind of ironic that obviously Dave Seaman went on not only to be the Arsenal number one, but the England number one. Um, but John Lukic couldn't get past David Seaman, Chris Woods, Nigel Martin at the time. Euro 92 coming off the back of him winning the league. Very, very odd that John Lukic never got a sniff. Um, Andrew, who have you got in goal? Have you joined? Have we made it a hat trick? Uh, no, actually. John Lukic was in consideration. Um, I think purely because um, obviously David Seaman was um, ahead of him for both club and, and, and country. Um, I went for someone who was playing for um, throughout the 90s regularly, um, week in, week out. Um, and I'm going to go with Steve Grizovic. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about good old Stephen. He's uh, how many times did he break his nose? Good old a few times, didn't he? Oh. <laughs> it, looked, it looked like at least fourteen. Um, no, I mean, and he was—he was—he was just there throughout throughout my my childhood, really, yeah. and throughout the nineties. And um, I mean, he was still playing in the late nineties at the age, in, you know, into his forties. I mean, I know that's not unusual for a goalkeeper, um, but he uh, apparently there's a story going around that he um, he agreed to give up smoking before he was offered his final contract uh, uh, with Coventry. Um, it was just a, it was, he was just a fantastic shot stopper. You know, he was in that sort of Neville Southall kind of mould of what you looked at him and thought, well, how, you know, how can you actually get the ball past him? You know, he was that imposing type of, of figure um, and eventually just eased out by the arrival in England of Magnus Hedman. Um, oh, Magnus Hedman, know, yeah. Fans, I think Steve Grozovic also is one of only a few players, I think, to have played in four different decades, something like that. Wow. So, um so uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's 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 my pick. Yeah, I had him on. I did have him on my reserve list. I think I, I was trying to think of what may have gone against him. Maybe playing for Coventry, who are always perennial relegation battlers, weren't they in the nineteen nineties? So that always looked upon as we always say, the big clubs get bigger when it comes to England. And just his age, as you say, he was sort of pushing 40 by the end of the end of the 90s. Maybe he, he saw his time come and gone. But yeah, de- a very, very decent, solid goalkeeper who never really got a look in. The only other two that I possibly could get a mention uh, in the goalkeeping ranks, I don't know if you guys came across this, Tony Coton, who was very much yeah. rated um, during, mainly more in the 80s than the 90s. Um, he's a former guest on this show. Uh, and Kevin Pressman, kind of a stalwart of, uh, of 1990s football at Sheffield Wednesday. He is somebody that uh, probably a bit too far down the the, uh, the lineup when it comes to goalkeeping because we, of course, as we'll talk about a lot of these positions, we were blessed, uh, especially in goalkeeping and up front, as we'll come to uh, later in the show. OK, so we've got John Lukic in two teams and we've got Steve Grigovich in Andrews. We've all picked Steve Bruce, but making up the rest of our back four. Coming to you first, Andrew, who's your right back? Um, I've gone a bit parochial, I'm afraid, in terms of an Aston Villa uh, angle, um, although he was perhaps more uh, best better known maybe for playing at Newcastle United. I've gone for Steve Watson. <laughs> We're going to have the same team in this. Go on. <laughs> um, um, uh, it, it's, um, yeah, Steve Watson, um, I mean, terrific to getting up and down the pitch. Um, he had an en- a terrific engine um, and a solid defender. 
Um, and again, he was a, a stalwart of the of, of the 90s and into the early 2000s with uh, with Villa, um, but played throughout the 90s. I say mainly for for, for Newcastle. Um, good crosser of the ball. Um, so uh, perhaps the, the, the first, um, you know, when fullback started to be able to deliver going forward as well as uh, um, as well as defend, he was perhaps one of the first to to sort of have that uh, type, you know, from an English point of view. Mm. No, I agree. I've picked him uh, as well as my right back. Um, remember him scoring a hat trick once. Forever. I think that was in the the next decade, actually. But I think he's one of the like the only maybe one or two defenders who've scored a hat trick in the Premier League. I need to. I didn't double check that. But as we're talking nineties, mainly Newcastle, of course. He was, as you said, part of that uh, Newcastle entertainers, as they were called under Kevin Keegan in the mid nineties. Possibly that went against him because they're obviously more known for their attacking sense more than the defenders. But he was a solid defender. Great at throw-ins. I seem to remember, yes. and, and a decent goals record to boot. Again, one England B cap uh, in the 4 1 win over Russia in 1998, which you may remember involved a Matt Letitiae hat trick and a goal at the loft end from Les Ferdinand from a Trevor Sinclair cross. Oh, it was majestic after they both already left the club. Um, so, yeah, we've both got for Steve Watson. <laughs> Joel, um, have, you, have we made a hat trick or are you putting Neil Cox in there? Well, <laughs> well, I mean, you've just blown it for me, haven't you? Because I did have Steve Watson in there, actually. By the way, he got his hat trick against Leeds in two thousand and three. Thought so. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I did have Steve Watson, and this was the position I found the most tricky. To be honest, I was sort of going through everybody naming names and 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 just going, ah, no, they played left back, they did this, and it wasn't them. So, but yeah, just to, just to be funny, I've gone for Neil Cox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, you know, I'm sure, Andrew, do you remember Neil Cox at Villa? Because that's where we got him from. Yes, I do remember Neil Cox at Villa. Do you know what I was just about to say? And I realised I might ruin the joke. Because um, when uh, Ash said, oh, we're going to have the same team when I mentioned Steve Watson, I said, well, to be honest, I said, at least it avoided me trying to put Neil Cox in there. But then, of course, I realised that uh, Coxie would probably end up on your uh, team sheet. But, well, uh... he wasn't going to until Ash just texted his name to me. And then I was like, oh, God, yeah, Neil Cox, I can't be putting a Geordie in. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, Neil Cox was our record buy at one point, one point five million pounds from Aston Villa, um, and just um, very, just very. I think cultured would be the word. You know, he was never yeah. one who was who was hard tackling, but he was. Uh, he could easily play wing back as well. Uh, just a, never tough tackling. Just just could read the game well. Knew what he was doing. Quite silky. The women loved him because he was quite a good looking lad with a mop of curly <laughs> hair. You know, and, and he was just a, a fulcrum part of that Robson side in the first sort of three years of his tenure at the, at the club, really. So, yeah, um, everybody's favourite player at one point, Neil Cox, especially in that um, first season under Robson in the NZ League Division 1. There's one for the bingo card. Yeah, um, NZ <laughs> So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to put Neil Cox in. Yeah, Neil, yeah, heartthrob Neil Cox, I'm going to call him yeah. from now on. Yeah. yeah, I think right back was the hardest position. Because I, I, yeah, I, definitely. I, I, definitely. I, could, I find a, there's a few left back candidates, but right backs. I mean, and then I was looking, thinking of people that they that were in front of them for England. You look at obviously Gary Neville was the obvious one, but then it was Rob Jones, criminally underrated for his injury. Paul Parker at the beginning of the decade. Warren Barton got a cap ahead of Steve Watson, which yeah. is interesting, seeing as they both played in the same Newcastle team as well. But um, Neil Cox never got a sniff. He did play six games. Under twenty, yeah, under twenty ones, between ninety three. And 94. So, um, switching flanks there, left back. I'm going to be the uh, archetype more now and pick the only QPR player I've got in my lineup. I resisted the urge on a couple of them, but I think he's somebody. I think I picked him, and I think Sid Lambert picked him when we did our underrated 11 back in the archive. He's the most consistent left back I've ever seen on a football pitch, especially at Loftus Road. Um, he's a penalty king as well, Mr. Clive Wilson. 
absolutely criminally, criminally never given an England cap, especially during the early 90s at QPR when we were top London club um, in 92-93. Um, he was left back, played in every single game. Again, like Steve Watson, he could go up and bomb up and down the left flank. Lovely cross on the ball, but always seemed to be in the position uh, and when he needed to be. A 7 out of 10 player, like the Dennis Irwins of this world. He was always somebody you could rely on to put in a shift, despite if the team were playing good or bad. And I think, you know, he had Stuart Pearce, Tony DeRigo in front of him, never given the complete uh, credit he deserved at, at QPR. So my left back, Clive Wilson. Joel, who have you got on your uh, left side? Uh, this this was like an embarrassment of riches, really. Because there was, there was a few, so weren't there? Players. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wrote down my, my friend Alan Wright again, who yeah. you know another scored the best goal at the game. Yeah. But um, Julian Dix, I want a bit of scrap. I want yeah. a bit of aggro. <laughs> so Julian Dix, I've gone for left back. Horrible, nasty, snarling, terrible. <laughs> you know, but tenacious captain battler. I didn't realise he was from Bristol. That oh, yeah, really? I was always yeah. I'd always assumed he was like um, East Ender because I can't ever remember hearing particularly speak. So I just thought he was one of them that sort of bled West Ham, which he probably does now. But uh, yeah, I want a bit of a snarler. I want a bit of an attitude. I want a bit of nastiness. So I'm, I'm going for Julian Dix. Another one who could take a penalty, but his penalties were far different than Clive Wilson's. He used to absolutely thwack, I think the term is these days, isn't it? But that was a thunderbolt of a penalty. Um, yeah, I suppose he didn't get a look in, especially when it's Liverpool. That weird transfer to Liverpool that I never really understood, but and it never worked out. That, no. and that probably set him back a bit, and then he becomes a bit of a sort of associated forever with with one club, really. And it was the kind of time that, and I'm sure Sid would back us up on that. That not many West Ham players were getting a look in. No, there wasn't many out there. Um, Andrea, can you differentiate? Are the only one have a left back option for you? Uh, yeah, well, I t- I turned down uh, Alan Wright, although I do love the man. Um, one of the smallest footballers ever to play in the Premier League, isn't he, Alan? Right, five foot four, I think. Yeah, and and also rather intriguingly, only Gordon Cowens and Dennis Mortimer played more uh, times in Europe for Aston Villa than Alan Wright. Wow, great fact! That's a fantastic <laughs> fact. Scored a very good goal. I mention this every time, but he scored a very good goal against us at our place one time. One that I stood up and applauded and, and soon got thumped in the back of the head for standing up and applauding. <laughs> I, I think... always think it was a free kick, but it wasn't. It was a ball that came to him. Uh, left-hand side of the box, wallet, postage stamp, top bins, as the kids say, yeah. I think. Didn't we yeah. agree that? I yeah. think. It, it, didn't you say it's the best goal you've ever scored? You've ever seen scored against your club? I think we agree. Yes, yeah, 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 I love it. Yeah. So if Alan Wright's not got there, Andrew, who have you picked? Um, I've gone slight. Well, I've gone. You, you talked about partnerships with Bruce and Bruce and Pallister. Well, okay. Why not have two of the, from the same uh, club in your team? Uh, we've got Steve Watson at right back. So why not John Beresford at oh. left back? <laughs> I looked at him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's I mean, one. again, like like you say that the two fullbacks bombing up and down in that Kevin Keegan team. Um, interesting that, as you say, Warren Barton played for England um, and John Beresford didn't. Um, Beresford perhaps um, getting a bit underrated, maybe again a bit unfashionable. Yeah. Um, but then I guess all these players are unfashionable if they never got picked. That's kind of the point is that sometimes with England, um, particularly in the 90s, um, it was sometimes whether your face fitted or not. And I think sometimes these sort of players that we're talking about perhaps weren't quite, you know, deemed to be sort of fashionable enough, maybe. Mm. One, two England B caps in 1994 against Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland, which another player did, which we'll talk about um, in our midfield. But yeah, John Beresford, good shout there. The only other option on left back I've got on my list, David Burrows, Liverpool. 
who uh, yeah. never really got a living despite playing, obviously, for a very good Liverpool team at the time. Um, I'll be talking about that in just a second, actually. But let's talk our other... Playing next to Steve Bruce for you then. Uh, Andrew, who have you got as your other centre? I gather all gone 4-4-2 as it's the 90s football show, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I thought. So alongside Steve Bruce, Andrew, who have you got? Well, again, uh, club partnerships, although perhaps they weren't uh, playing together as often as uh, they, they might have, certainly as this player might have wanted to have done. Um, but David May... Now, I've David, never even thought David, of David May, but yeah, I wrote David May down. Ah. Yeah. David May, of course, won uh, Premier League titles with two different clubs, Blackburn Rovers and Manchester United. Um, he won a couple of FA Cups as well, although perhaps perhaps it's fair to say Manchester United won them rather than he was there. Um, that might be a fair assessment. And of course, he's a Champions League winning uh, defender. But of course, we all remember that famous picture of David May who hadn't played for United in a couple of years, somehow managing to get to the centre <laughs> of it all. He was the John Terry of his time. He is, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and apparently, thanks to the famous um, factual resource of Wikipedia, he became a wine importer after his retirement. So uh, um, what, what more could you want than someone who, uh, who brings vino into the country? Uh, David May is my selection, just ahead of Andy Linegan. Oh, Andy Linegan's another one I've written down on my reserve list. Yeah, I didn't even think of David May, which is hard because you can't think of the 99 Champions League final without his mug being in one of the pitches at least. But um, yeah, Dave, yeah, Blackburn as well. No, good shout. Um, he is, so you had David May on your reserve list, Joe, but who have you picked alongside Steve well, Bruce? Well, I also had I had David May and I also put in Alan Stubbs, who I thought was quite yeah, interesting. Yeah, I've got one. him, yeah. Um, good shout that is. But the one I've gone for is sort of quite a sad one, really. I've gone for Dean Richards. Yes, right. yes, yeah. Um, and I just think that you know Dean Richards was obviously when he went to Tottenham. He, I think he was the, I think he was the record fee paid yeah. for an uncapped player at Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, just everything you kind of want in a centre back. He wasn't blood and thunder. He was very much in the sort of uh, almost like a Southgate really, in that he could read the game. He, he didn't have to make the tackle because he knew where he was. He was big. He was commanding. Uh, you know, did very well. At, didn't he go Bradford Wolves? Southampton Tottenham yeah, I think that's right yeah uh, and and just and you know he was one of those that was always sort of tipped to do well and just kept growing and, and you know I mean just look at that career path there Bradford Wolves Southampton Tottenham I mean that's just that that, that that's about a man who's yeah progression developing his game getting better and better and better and you would have thought with his height with his presence it, it sort of seems quite odd that he was Never called up really, uh, even even just to go in into a um, you know even just to be called up into a squad seems very peculiar to me. And obviously he's not with us anymore. He, he died very very young, thirty six, which yeah. is incredible. Um, but yeah, and and just by all accounts, just a very well liked very nice man so yeah I would, I would have Dean Richards in there for me yeah. I think he was actually on the cusp wasn't he during those early years because he played for Tottenham more in the two th- early 2000s and I think he was on the mm. cusp but again I think more even more so than the 90s I think centre back in the in the following decade it was where QPR um, QPR as if it's just where England uh, really had a, a embarrassment of riches at centre back but no really really rated thinking Mang's footballer I seem to remember him being one of those first kind of defenders who thought more about the game not so much of the blood and thunder but could do still do that because because of his big frame so no good shout um uh, dean richards um on on that sad theme actually my my pick at center back is also no longer with us um played for well he's played for liverpool and everton the only player to ever win an fa cup with both merseyside's team and he was an integral part of the 1990 liverpool winning team gary ablett um, is my other centre back because I was surprised never really got an England cap because he was such, he was a big part of that 
um, Liverpool team, mainly sort of at the late 80s and then into the 90s. He was kind of the deputy for Alan Hansen, but as Alan Hansen sort of got older and injuries to, took toll on his body, especially in that title-winning season, he played the majority of the games that year. Uh, for, for Liverpool and then I went on to Everton um, often used at left back so you know I've got a bit of flexibility there as well so I can always switch him if I need to um, so Gary Ablett one England B cap um, for him as well so England B is such a weird thing you don't see it in the 2018 but such a because we had so many I don't think you get an England B squad in 2018 such as this sort of dearth of England players um, but I've gone for Gary Ablett um, the only other ones we haven't mentioned so I think Joel mentioned Alan Stubbs there um, some centre backs possibly Chris Perry who was at Wimbledon and Tottenham never got a cap. I saw Chris Perry the other day. He was in work. Do we <laughs> He was smaller than I think, than I thought. Oh, at your work is 11 sports. So he's punditry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was commentating, yeah. Um, and yeah, so I mean, I remembered him being a lot taller. <laughs> so there you go. My dad once did the lights in his house. There is, you go. Yeah, I know. There's a small uh, claim to fame for my father. Uh, he's an electrician, by the way. He wasn't just walking by and stealing his lights Um, and Chris Fairclough Leeds part of the Leeds winning team of 1992 often underrated and and the only other one I've written down Paul Elliott who obviously his career was cut short um, by injuries for Chelsea in the early 90s in a tackle with Dean Saunders but really really rated I remember in those early years especially at Celtic and when Chelsea built him we never really saw the best of him but I think um, anyone, anyone else you kind of considered Andrew that we haven't mentioned uh, no, not really. I say Andy Lincoln was uh, was my sort of uh, backup centre back. Um, there were a few that have that I looked at that I uh, did. I mean, you, the ones you've mentioned as well, uh, Dean Richards, Gary Ablett. Um, Ablett, of course, I know uh, in the early nineties was with Everton. I kind of associate him a little bit more with the eighties, perhaps. And also, um, there were players that got one or two caps here or there. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's um, you know, in a sense, that's frustrating because there are some really good players. <laughs> in there. I thought, Hang on a minute, they haven't won yeah. it. They have. They yeah. played that. They came off the bench in that qualifier against Moldova, didn't they? Yeah. So uh, you know. I found that for midfield because I think midfield was harder than the, the any position at all. So we'll get to that because the likes of Jason Wilcox that got two caps and people are like, oh no, damn it! But uh, we'll get I've to that. I've got a few full, a couple of fullback names. Oh, go on, go on then. Ian Pierce. Yep. Okay, uh, yeah, goal scoring uh, Frank- defender, yeah. Frank Sinclair, the same, who scored against us in the uh, 98 League Cup final. Um, and Gary Charles. Oh, yes. yeah, the sad story Ender of Gary Charles. Of yeah. Gaza. But yeah, yeah, but yeah so maybe, maybe that had something to do with that. Yeah. Um, Can I, uh, I'll chip in with a few more flex if I may. Dean Austin and Justin Edinburgh. Yeah, caught the defenders. There's a plethora of defenders, isn't there? Mm. Um, and a couple of Chelsea's as well. Scott Minto and Andy Myers. Yeah, I had Scott Minto at one point. Yeah, and then I remembered what he used to hit smart, smarmy on TV. So I took Scott Minto. Yeah, <laughs> Scott Minto loses points for being crap on the telly. Yeah. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, he's God. so smiley. He's so smiley. Scene, yeah. isn't he? He's terrible. Oh God, get off my telly. He Scott looks Minto. like someone who should be in an American TV soap in the mid. Yeah, he's like a Ken doll, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Oh. Scott yeah. Minto, clear off. But come on the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you want, Scott, we'll, we'll clear it all up. Okay. Yeah. Um, before we get to our midfield, we're going to take a short break uh, and speak to a famous face from the past. We'll see you on the other side. This is Gary Stevens, and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Remember, keep it 90s. Some defence and goalkeepers there. Let's get on to the midfield and strikers in just a moment. But first, here is today's interview 
that I did earlier this week. We speak to former crew Norwich, Derby, Barnsley and Blackburn striker Ashley Ward. Uh, I did get my timeline with Ashley slightly mixed up. Apologise for that. I do get some things wrong every now and then. I do apologise. But we have a good chat. He talks about Paolo Wanchop at Derby, the fairy tale of Barnsley uh, during their season in the Premier League and much, much more. I always remember Ashley Ward because he's one of the few players I remember at the time. I don't think there's that many more now. They had the name Ashley. It wasn't that common when I was growing up, so he always stuck out to me. Decent striker as well. As I said in the intro, possibly could have had a sniff uh, international at some level at some point, but didn't quite work out for him. But here is Ashley Wald talking to me earlier this week on Alive and Kicking. Okay, joining me on the line now, uh, a name from the 90s we all remember, of course, at Spells and many clubs that we'll talk about. Ashley Wald, former striker. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, no, thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to uh, speak about the old days. <laughs> yeah, exactly what we do on this podcast as well, actually. Let's yeah. take you right back in there as well. Um, you began your career in Manchester, didn't you? I read that you, you had a spell at Man United and you were at Man City. How did that, what was it like going through that at the time in that sort of system? I mean, it was uh, obviously at the time, everybody wanted to, where I lived, everybody wanted to, probably the rest of the world wanted to play for Man United or Man City or. You know, so I started off at Man United as a kid, and uh, but went by the, by the time I went full time, I went to Manchester City because uh, at the time they had great system for bringing through the young players. They they brought through loads of, in fact, most of the first team at the time was uh, players who come through the youth system. So they were sort of big in the youth cup and all that. And um, yeah, we signed, I signed for them as an apprentice, uh, twenty eight fifty a week. And and I imagine, as we always say to the, to the guys on the show, you had to do the whole the YTS, the chores, and things like that. Very different from today. I mean, what was that sort of thing like? Well, no, I look back, and uh, some of the some of the players, but, you know, in, in our youth team, there's like a guy called Mike Sharon, uh, Gary Flitcroft, the year below me, uh, Jerry Taggart, uh, Neil Lennon, uh, and you know, and others. And but you know what? We had such a good laugh. Um, Part of the duties were cleaning the stand and painting the stand and cleaning up after pop concerts. Then obviously the day-to-day clothes of the players' boots and uh, all that kind of stuff. You know, but they, they're some of the happiest days of your life, aren't they? Because you're all kids, no, nobody's got any money and uh, you all just want to be footballers and uh, and have a good laugh, you know. So, bizarrely, um, my, my job was looking after um, Paul Stewart's boots and uh, I haven't seen him for, for 20 years and... I've seen him twice in the last two weeks, so I don't know what's going on there. I keep popping into him. How <laughs> <laughs> random. Former guest on the show, actually. We've had Paul Shirt on the oh, show did before. Um, it, you, yeah. you had spells at Wrexham online and Leicester, but I think it's fair to say it was Crew where everyone started to take notice uh, of you. I mean, yeah. what do you remember about Crew? How did you end up at Crew? I mean, they were known at the time, obviously, as for producing these young players. Was that a great grounding for you? Yeah, yeah, because I, I, broke, uh, I broke my leg at... Um, when I was at Man City, I then I played a couple of substitute appearances and uh, uh, I went to Leicester. I was still hadn't really got over it, to be honest. I was, I was struggling and I was actually, I always remember finding it, you know, like shooting practice in training. I, was, I couldn't really strike through the ball properly. And, uh, it's obviously a bit of a handicap for a striker. So, um, yeah, I mean, I never never really established myself at Leicester and ended up um, getting this offer to go to the crew and um, got, had another operation, cleared up this ankle problem and... Uh, and was then working with Dario Grady, who obviously had this reputation for bringing through all these players. And uh, you know, he spoke to spoke to me, and, you know, talked about what he thought I could do. And um, yeah, he signed, and it was the first time really I started to play 
first team football week in week out and really understand what being a footballer is all about. Mm. You made steady progression as well because you went from Crew then up the level to Norwich. I mean, and then to Derby we'll talk about Derby in a second but I mean did you always feel that you could always go up a level each time you were doing it? Yeah no, I, you know, I always had confidence in myself you know even when I was at Man City I had confidence and obviously I had this, this leg and this, this, this ankle problem I couldn't get rid of and that, that somehow happened to me but I always thought if I could get myself right and start playing uh, playing games regular that I'd be uh, I could play at a different level you know um, so yeah, when I went to Crew, things, things went well, and I was uh, by the time I went to which um, I was I was really I was kind of super confident, you know. So that always helps, I think, definitely. Oh, you had a great season, a couple of seasons at Norwich, there to your your big chance in the Premier League with, with Derby County. I mean, what's the step up like then, even in the mid '90s? Is there a big gap when you're really when you make that final step to to the first division, which obviously became the Premier League? Well. To be honest, the way it happened with me, when I when I went when I left Crew, we went to Norwich. Uh, sorry, when I left Crew, I went to Norwich, and that was we were in the Premiership then. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was a massive jump, and but I settled in okay because I scored two of my debut against Chelsea, and uh, we were sort of third or fourth in the league at the time. So I, personally, that season went well for me. I joined um, sort of Christmas time. Uh, I think it was eight nine goals. Um, I was one of the Player of the Year type things and. Uh, but the but the club got relegated, so it was you know it was shortly after that that I then moved to Derby, um, and sort of back into the Premiership when they went up. Um, so yeah, I had a bit of experience. Probably had 20 games in the Premiership before I went to Derby, so I knew what to expect. But um, even still, it was great to great to play for a club like you know Derby, a great tradition really, you know, mm. form of Division One league winners and all, all that goes with it, you know. Yeah, I'm sorry, I got my timeline slightly mixed there. Of course, you played for Norwich in the Premier League, but I always remember as you, a goal you scored uh, against Man United in a memorable victory for Derby. That, that's a game that always sticks out for me. Do you remember that game at Old Trafford? Oh, the game, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, I mean, people remember that game because Paolo Wanchop scored an absolute uh, will beater, didn't he? You know, he, he sort of grabbed the ball on the halfway line and uh, and went past half the Man United team. And I think what stands out about that game for me is, yeah, scoring the goal that I scored was obviously great for a Manchester lad scoring at Man United and winning. But that goal of uh, Paolo was, was incredible. And, um, you know, quite literally, I don't know whether stories like that could happen, happen in these days because, you know, he came over. Jim, Jim Smith had brought him over with another guy from uh, Costa Rica and he'd been training that week. I don't think he had any boots, proper boots or anything, you know. Literally, uh, and when when he named him in the team on the Friday, the lads were all looking at each other thinking, he's, he's gone mad. <laughs> you know, Gaff has lost the plot here. Like, this, this lad doesn't even understand football. You know, he's, he, he was a two or three-year project, you know, to get anywhere near the first team. Um, Jim obviously seen something that none of us had seen that week. and um, He was in the first team, and <laughs> not only was he in the first team, he scores a goal like that, which is... Uh, was an incredible goal, and obviously went on to have a really good career, didn't he? So mm. yeah, that, well, that's the thing that sticks out. Yeah, no, everyone remembers that goal very good because it was his debut. I mean, what was he like to play alongside? Because I, I remember obviously Paolo being quite unpredictable most of the time. He could do like he did at Old Trafford, or he'd have games where he would do nothing. What was he like to play alongside? Well, he had pretty much something up there. Yeah, I mean, he was he had all the ability in the world, you know. But he, he didn't. Sometimes I don't think he knew what he'd like to do himself, you know. So his legs would do things and beat players and, and sometimes he, he he hadn't really known how, how he'd done it, you know, so uh, at times it's difficult playing alongside a player like that because um, if he doesn't know what you're doing, you've no chance, you know, so in terms of building up, uh, you know, link plays and partnerships with strikers, it's not, not easy, but um, 
certainly good to watch and you know dangerous to play against because not only do they have this sort of freak freak skill and you know sort of unorthodox style he's very strong and wiry and tall you know so he's a big big guy you know six foot six three or whatever and probably 14 stone and, and, and pretty quick so yeah he's a real helpful mm-hmm. You moved on to Barnsley then. We love the Barnsley story here in the podcast. Obviously, that season they had in the Premier League and Danny Wilson, that sort of fairy tale story. Um, was it just the desire to be part of that and, and stay in the Premier League and, and then a play for, for Barnsley in that season? Yeah, I mean, I, we, what happened is um, we, played, we played a derby. We played at Pride Park against um, Barnsley on the Saturday. Um, and I think we won. I think Derby won. I think we won one nil, but it had been like we we were quite established in a way there at that time. We had you know we'd had those results at United by then, and we'd, we'd, we'd you know we'd survived in the Premiership quite well, and we'd brought in new players, and so we, we looked like a, 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 a you know a tidy outfit at Derby. And um, I always remember that game. It, it, it stayed, we couldn't get the ball off off Barnes, and I remember thinking, "Cracky, they're a really good side." I wasn't expecting that, you know. Although we'd won the game, and then then the call came a few days later, and I thought, "Well." You know, not a bad side at all, but I'm speaking to him, you know. And then, you know, I went up to speak to Danny Wilson and uh, he just, you know, from the moment I went there, I just enjoyed playing for Danny because we just, all that, we just like watching Brazil and all that was, was fantastic. And, and for a club that's come up out, there, out of the division and really punching miles above its weight, to go and try and play football, um, you know, I just don't see that happen these days. I don't think any you know, team with those resources would even try and play football because it, it'd just be a suicide. And at times it was, you know, there was a seven at Old Trafford and then they got beat six in the week before I went there uh, by Chelsea. And, uh, but then I mixed in amongst that with some amazing results and, you know, a, a real a good cup run. And, you know, they, they, they were probably really just one player short and it was, it was a shame really, but um, it certainly went close at the end. So... Um, no, it was one of the happiest times in my career, really, at that, that stage. Mm. And you scored a winner at Anfield, I seem to remember, as well. That must have been, again, so go at Old Trafford, go at Anfield. These are the sort of milestones, as I imagine, you growing up, you, you dreamt of. Yeah, I think as a kid, you do think that. I think, you know, looking back now, I thought, I look back and I think, well, I didn't win anything. You know, but I look back and I think, well, you know, growing up as a kid, you, you want to score at Old Trafford, you want to score at Anfield, and, you know, you want to have, you know, scoring in the past. I scored against all the main teams. And, you know, that was that was uh, growing up what, what you dream of. So yeah, it's uh, that was certainly memorable Liverpool game. And um, it was, there were was, there was so many memorable um, uh, moments in that in that season. You know, in fact, they've just they've just released uh, a film which is fantastic. Yeah. I went to the premiere of it last week. It was really good actually. So, yeah, yeah, I did see that. We're we're hoping really to get the guys on the on the show actually because we're, we're yeah, you should get them on. They've done a really good job. They made a story. You know, they've not made a story. The story with the, the town being so depressed with the mine, you know, post miners strikes and stuff like that, and everyone buying into the uh, into the club as a as a distraction and, and, and something to look forward to the weekend, which was really how it was at that time. You know, the, the club gave the whole town a lift being in that Premiership. So, great thing, yeah. Yeah, it was a great day. You, you stayed at Barnsley, of course, and there's that famous game at Sunderland, I seem to remember, in November, where you had a mad five-minute spell where you scored, missed a penalty, and, <laughs> and, and got sent off all in the same sort of... All involved yeah. Darren Williams, I seem to remember, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I think, do you know what? It was crazy. I think it was all in the first four or five minutes as well. You know, so I, was, I, I remember being sat back in the dressing room, which had been sent off as just the longest place on earth. <laughs> it seems so angry. There's not a soul in there. You just sat, sat around your own. I never sat there in the head of me, I was thinking, it's just happened, you know, I haven't got a sweat on. 
Apparently <laughs> got a sweat on it. It was like, well, a player had scored, had missed a penalty and got sent off. It's only about four minutes, four or five minutes, so yeah, I'll never forget that. Yeah, I don't know they put the penalty over the over the hot over the stadium light out of the stadium light and mind over the bar. <laughs> <laughs> That's a quite a mean feat. Um, you scored yeah. twenty goals that season, and then obviously you went off to Blackburn as well in sort of the, the final part of, the, of that decade for you. I mean, Blackburn yeah. obviously they weren't the, the club they were sort of mid nineties, but a big club still. Did you join time at Ewa Park? Yeah, I was. I, was, I really enjoyed it. I was very lucky when I left um, Barnes. I had, a, I had a choice of like, for, you know, apart from the sort of top two. From the very top two or three clubs, really, I, I had pretty much a choice of a lot of the others, you know. Um, and I chose Blackburn because obviously they were former winners of the, the Premier League and stuff. But when I signed, they were actually rock bottom of the league. We always thought too good to go down. They're not going to go down, you know. Um, but but uh, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, uh, we did. And I think it's just when you get a big club that's had that kind of success, I mean, they'd won, won the league two years before. Yeah. It then becomes difficult when they go down, and you know, sometimes. Sometimes that uh, expectation can work against you, whether you know the supporters and stuff. It's a difficult place to play, and you've gone down a division if you're not bouncing straight back. Um, I think it's you know we we sort of have games in the having gone down a championship as it is now, where you know if you're not sort of one nil up after ten fifteen minutes, the crowd would be <laughs> crowd be on your back. Yeah. You know? So it, 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 yeah, because they're you know rightly so they're thinking well you know two years ago winning the championship it should be murdering Scottport now you know. Um, but it was it was just it became quite difficult really, which was a shame because it was a great club. Mm. Jack Jack Walker had invested so much money in the in the ground and the training ground and the facilities were you know undoubtedly very uh, substandard. So it was a shame we went down really. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always ask this to, to guys on the show who played in that era. Who was the best player you played with, and and who was the best player you played against during the nineties? Uh, with I'd say we took a guy to Derby called people might not remember but a guy called Al Yosso Sonovic. Oh yes, he was in the team of the either the World Cup or the European Championships before he signed. One of like '96 or something. He, he he was voted as one of the players of the tournament or whatever. And somehow 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 Derby had signed him before the uh, before the um, before the tournament. So. Uh, he, he was a fantastic footballer. I think he was only in the Premiership for a season or two. Um, and a sort of play against, that's, you know, quite a few really. But Yap Stam was a mm. sort of beast of a centre half in those days. He was just too too quick, too you know, too strong, <laughs> uh, too aggressive. It was just very difficult to play against. Um, but also all those, those Arsenal back fours as well from that de- decade were just, you know, you very rarely got any change out of. Playing up front against Arsenal at Arsenal in those days, it was just so condensed and tight the pitch everywhere. You know, there was somebody banging into you every two minutes. It was. Uh, I seem to remember those being games where you think, "Well, I'm not going to get much change today." <laughs> but yeah, probably if I had to pick one player out, maybe maybe Stam. Yeah, no, he was definitely was a beast, as you say. And, and what are you up to these days? I think you've got you've got your hands in many pies. Are you in football at all, or is it more of a, a business these days? Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I. Gone out of football, and um, unfortunately, uh, I think when you're out, you're out, sort of thing, you know. So, you know, as much as I love football, I'm kind of out of that now. And I've been, you know, from the day I retired, I went in the office, I had a business running, and I went in the office the next day. And I've never really had a day off or pursued anything in football. So, I'm, I'm a fan now, and uh, when I get a chance to go down to Man City, um, which is which is all good because great time to be a Man City fan. Indeed. Um, you know, after. <laughs> 
after decades of it not being a great time, it's now uh, our time, and uh, yeah, we're enjoying that. Brilliant. Well, thank you for talking to us, Ashley. I always thought you were a very underrated footballer during the 90s, so um, uh, it's great oh, to Thank you very much. And thanks for joining us. Brilliant. Well, we've done our a defence, we've done our goalkeeper. It's now turning out tied to the midfield in our uncapped 11 of the 90s. Now, I found this slightly harder than I thought. Oh, I thought there'd be much more names. There was quite a few defenders, as we found out in the first half. There was lots more we could choose from. I don't know about you boys. Oh, one defender, actually, we didn't mention. Steve Walsh of Leicester. Bit of a story. Oh, yeah, he actually, there you go. Yeah, he liked a tweet that we did this morning, so I thought I'd better mention his name anyway. And, <laughs> and he is a, a, a former a former guest on this show and somebody who did very well for the Foxes in the 90s. Scored a, did he score in a final? So, am I making that up? Matt Elliott did, didn't he? Or was it a playoff? Oh, playoff final. Yeah. I think it was a playoff final. I don't want to talk about Leicester in finals. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no. Yeah, we don't want to mention that. There's one for your bingo cards as well. Mm, Uh, How did you guys find the midfield? Easier to pick? I found it quite difficult. Very difficult, yeah. Uh, When I looked at left midfield, I suddenly realised why I was finding it so difficult. Because if you think about it, England through the 90s had a problem finding a left winger. Um, They they really struggled... um, to, to, to find an out and out left side in midfield, which meant that several players were just called up quite randomly. Um, Steve Froggart, um, Steve Guppy, people yeah. like that. Um, not that they weren't good players, obviously, but, um, you know, Jason Wilcox, we've mentioned. So, um, yeah, so left midfield, I've kind of only got one option, but we'll come on to him. Yeah, I'm, gl- I'm so glad you didn't say Andy Sitton, because obviously Andy Sitton deserved his cap more than any of those anyway, so, <laughs> despite what many people say. OK, um, I know there's one that me and Joel definitely got, because we, we said it in the preamble, so let's start in our central midfield. Um I've got him. He was a title winner for Arsenal. He was part of the 93 team that won both Cups. He won the Cup Winners' Cup in 1994. 11 under-21 caps. Paul Davis. This is a surprise. This one, wasn't it, Joe? We've both got him. Um, what, what would, where would you say about Paul Davis? Uh, just a very... Uh, I mean, it, it's again, you know, that we said last week about um, Fowler and everything. And it's like a player that won the league would certainly be getting a getting a call-up, really. You know, you don't know whether it was because of that... You know, that punch of, uh, was it Glenn Cockrell, Southampton, that yeah. he already broke his jaw? Yeah. You know, you don't know whether that had something to do with it, the nine-match ban, the the uh, the £3,000 3, ban. You know, then he got left out of the out of the team for 18 months. So you've got to know whether these things scupper them, whether they think that they've got a, a bad reputation for that. But yeah, just a... Just what you want in a midfield player, I think. What's your memories, Ash? Uh, yeah, mud sticks, I was going to say about that. But yeah, I just remember him being a, a, a battler, a solid midfielder. Um, someone who's not, I wouldn't call him a defensive midfielder, but kind of in that old school way where he was a bit of everything, a bit of an all-rounder. And at the Break time, it up and then get forward. Yeah, yeah, and at the time, I think, you know, the likes of possibly Neil Webb, who was kind of getting to the end of his career. David Batty was kind of the start. But they were getting in front of him for England. Brian Robson was coming to the end. You know, Colton Palmer was picked instead of Paul Davis. I know there's 18, the... 18, oh, 34 caps. Oh, no, 34 caps. Oh, no, 18 caps. Yeah. Colton Palmer. Which is, sorry. I know it's the kind of the standard bearer for Graham Taylor's reign, Colton Palmer. And we spoke to him on the show and he's quite blase about it. But it when he's getting 18 caps and Paul Davis, who, as you say, league winner, somebody who played for Arsenal's memory very fondly at Highbury as well. Um, Dave Rocastle was one who didn't get enough caps as well. We mentioned earlier about pick, 
players who only got a few caps here and there. But yeah, Paul Davis was one I was surprised. Uh, the England B cap he got was in a 1 0 win against Wales in February 1991, and he actually scored the winner as well, which he wasn't renowned for his, renowned for his goal scoring. But yeah, so he didn't obviously make enough impression there to uh, to impress what would have been uh, Graham Taylor at the time. Um, who's your first midfielder, Andrew? Have you got Paul Davis or have you got someone else in your two midfield? Well, I've been looking at my midfield options, and actually, because um, originally Paul Davis, I was sort of have, had had him a uh, first reserve, if you like, because partly because, uh, as Joel mentions, yeah, he did have that period where he was out of the team under uh, George Graham, and um, and I, so I, but I'm looking at it now. I do have a bit of a dearth of of sort of, um, uh, you know. It, top level experience if you yeah. like so, so Paul Davis I think would have to be in there purely for the level that he was playing at um in that sort of late 80s early 90s period um I've got I've got someone that I quite I quite admired as a player very unflashy though uh, Gary Flitcroft oh right yeah oh. quite rated as a youngster no very I think he was in one of those up and coming sticker book type spreads at some point Gary Flitcroft didn't Kind of lost his way at City a bit, never really fulfilled potential, I'd say. But go on, tell us about more about Gary Flick, why you picked him. Well, Gary Flickcroft was one of the players earmarked um, for the sort of new Terry Venables era. Yeah. Venables um, pulled together a, a, a sort of a training squad um, when he first uh, uh, took uh, took over um, after the uh, after the '94 World Cup, obviously. Um, and yeah, he had a, a whole host of players in there, most of whom hadn't been. Um, hadn't really been captain. Gary Flitkoff was one of them at that point, as you say, playing for Manchester City. Uh, he'd been an England under-21 international. Um, uh, I think he played quite a few times for the under-21s, actually. As you say, never really delivered on that. And that's whether that's a case of um, club form as well. I mean, the, the thing is, would would somebody like him have benefited? Bearing in mind he was in the England setup, and you think about what's happening with Gareth Southgate now, Um he was in the England setup initially. Would he have benefited in confidence and playing better for his club if he'd been given a chance by Venables in that sort of era, um, rather than sort of just dis- you know picked and then sort of discarded again? Mm-hmm. You know, so it might have been that he might have had a better career. Um, he went on to play for Blackburn uh, in the late nineties. Um, you know, would he have had a, a, a better career had uh, you know his, his England promise? from a youngster being fulfilled a bit more. I think he played for the wrong clubs at the wrong time, didn't he? If you think about it, like he played yeah. for City during when it was always up and down, managers here and there, they had the big uh, takeover with Peter Swales and Franny Lee. And then he joined Blackburn post-title winning when they never really got it right, did they? Post-Ray uh, Harford. And then obviously they went completely off the wire with, Ray Hod- with Roy Hodgson and then uh, Brian Kidd. And I think he never quite fitted into a, a successful winning team. And I think he would have been better. I'm not sure his style was suited to somebody, a team that was kind of battling relegation and, and stuff but yeah good shout um Gary Flickcroft uh, are you sticking to Paul Davis or you got someone else alongside him then I'm, I'm going to stick to Paul Davis but I would like to uh, give a shout out again a little bit parochial this from my point of view I'd like to give a shout out to two players who are criminally underrated and criminally overlooked uh Mark Draper who did um get called up by both Terry Venables and Glenn Hoddle but was but actually never played um and also Ian Taylor yeah. now Ian Taylor Stormwall. was a fantastic fantastic midfielder um, 200 appearances for Villa um, between 94 and 2000. Um, he turned down Barbados hoping to play for England and never did. <laughs> How, who would ever turn down Barbados in any way, shape or form? Eh? Good old Ian Taylor. Um, I've actually picked one of those, so we'll go back to that in a second. Joel, who's your other central midfielder? Oh, well, I mean, I, I'm stumbling a bit here because I'm, I'm putting in a Geordie who played for Sunderland. Lee Clark. Lee Clark, <laughs> yeah. Oh, <good laughs> 
but um, I mean, but then he impressed, you know, he basically, um, you know, he made me love him by wearing a T-shirt saying stupid sad Mackhams or whatever it was he yeah. said when he was still on the books at Sunderland. <laughs> so he could endear himself to me that way. That's a wonderful thing. But yeah, I always kind of, Clark's another one of those who's sort of like a snarler on one hand and a really silky good ball player on the other. Scored a lot of important goals. Uh, just, a, you know, loved at Newcastle. And it was always seen as being quite weird why they got rid of him. And bled black and white and it's almost like you think he went to Sunderland just to sort of spite them a bit almost you know what I mean you've hurt me so much so I'm going to go and snog the girl who you hate the most you know that kind of thing yeah. it's, um, but yeah I, I sort of he's one of them that got a lot of grudging respect for me I think he got called up into a couple of squads didn't he did he Euro 96 maybe around then he got called up and then didn't go go through but yeah it was Le Tumois uh, he got called yes, up for that squad one. yeah um, yeah, he's somebody I looked at, but I didn't actually um, finally write down. But yeah, Lee Clark, unlucky, I think, because again, he was there in that Newcastle era of the entertainers, local lad, decent. He was good for Fulham as well in the in the following decade as well. Um, yeah. Not so much as a manager. Hasn't done really. Started all right at no. Huddersfield, didn't he? But it's not really done well since then. Um, as I mentioned, I picked Mark Draper, Andrew. You'll be pleased to know. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I always have a... Uh, I had a friend when I was younger who, um, despite being an Arsenal fan, his secret vice was Mark Draper. He absolutely loved him. <laughs> I don't know why. To the point that he shaved his head so he could look like Mark Draper. Um, Terry Beezer, I'm shouting out to you. Um, but so yeah, he uh, Leicester from '94-'95, Aston Villa, obviously mainly League Cup winner in 1996. Um, three under 21 caps, um, as you said, Andrew. He was actually called up into two squads uh, by Terry Venables and then Glenn Hoddle um, for that Moldova game, as we mentioned on last week's. This week is in the '90s. We spoke about that. He was in the squad for that. Never actually got onto the pitch though. Uh, again, you look at the players that were in front of him at the time. You got the Ince, Batties again, Gaza, obviously. Jamie Redknapp was in and around the squads at the time. He was probably the you know the uh, the passer. The, the ball-winning sort of player that um, Mark Draper probably was behind at that point, but always thought he put in a decent shift for Aston Villa. Quite underrated, I think. I think a lot of that Villa team of the mid-90s were, were quite underrated as well. He's now kit man at Notts County. Did you know that, Andrew? I did, actually, yes. Yeah, because he, Notts County are sort of um, uh, his club, really. I think he started out there as well. So, yeah, he uh, did, yeah. Yeah, I think I've got... a pro match not pro match pro set card of him and he's got hair in Notts County which is a it's a very strange thing to see Mark Draper with hair it's like Paul Koncheski when he grew hair looked weird didn't look right um, okay uh, the only other central midfielder I had um, possible was Chris Bart Williams oh blimey there's a name from, there's a name to conjure with yeah, I mean, you know, I can work on 90s name, isn't it? Along with people like Tommy Widrington and things like that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I was kind of stretching it a bit. He was quite highly rated, had a few under 21 caps, was called Bart, which was fun because it was like Bart Simpson. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but as I said, midfield was hard. Um, let's do the wings then. Who is this left winger that you've picked, Andrew? Uh, see if it's similar to mine. Who's on the left wing who didn't actually get a cap for England in the 90s? Uh, 41 goals. Uh, 218 league appearances right across the decade from 1990 to 2000. So who else uh, to take up the left wing spot in a 1990s team of uncapped players than Ian Wone of Nottingham Forest? (laughs) Yeah, he's in my team too. Is Ian Wone one of the most quintessential 90s players ever? I don't even know why. Go on, tell us why about Ian Wone. Um, Wand of a left foot. Absolute wand. Someone... I mean, it's, it's crossing. I mean, he's got to be probably one of the best crossers of the ball in that period. Um, and that includes David Beckham. Um, and I don't understand why, you know, someone like Steve Froggart got in ahead of him at one point. Um, but I just 
good, able, you know, hug the touchline, you know, just a just a, a traditional winger, but he could cross the ball. He scored, as I mentioned, he scored goals himself. Um, that Nottingham Forest team weren't flashy, um, but they were functional. That the, the Forest team that he played in, and you know, he was he created goals. Well, I was going to say left, right, and centre, but mainly left, obviously. But um, <laughs> um, yeah, and he was just a fantastic uh, player. And of course, he was backed up on on the other side by Steve Stone, who did win England caps. Oh, I bloody love Steve Stone. There's your bingo card. But I, I loved that Vorin's team as well. That Forest team in '94, '95, they finished third and qualified for the UEFA Cup. Of course, they're Brian Roy and Stan Collymore, and obviously Colin Cooper got capped as well at the back. Um, Steve Chettle was another name that came across that didn't get cap for England. There's another defender as well. Um, but yeah, Ian Wayne, um, he's so good. And I think I've maybe told this story on, on this podcast before, but uh, through my years of uh, my drinking years, as uh, we, we know from Matthew Christ comes up quite regularly. Um, we used to have a game between me and my friends that we try and put footballers names into songs. And the most famous one is Norman Whiteside for uh, Bright Eyes by the Killers. Do it. It's funny. Um, but Ian Wayne was the actual original one. I don't know what happened that week, but uh, if you remember the song Pretty Green Eyes, there's a line in it that goes, Never gonna be alone. I, after a few uh, Red Bull and vodkas, started shouting, The legend that is Ian Wayne. And, and, from, and from that point, Ian Wayne became a bit of a ledge amongst my group of friends, and the game started. So if you've got any names you can fit into songs like that, put them on Twitter at AK90s. It's always fun. But I always remember him, Monday Night Football's. He always used to be on sort of Forrest's Beyond and he used to turn it on for the cameras. I think the thing that he lacked and why he didn't play for England was pace for a winger because he was a bit ploddy in terms of getting up and down. One of a less foot, as you mentioned, but probably didn't quite have the pace of Steve Rogger and to a certain extent Steve Guppy. Nowhere near Andy Sinden, obviously. Um, but no, Ian Wayne, I really liked. And uh, he scored a couple of worldies against QPR, I remember, um, in that season as well. Uh, Joe, who's on your left wing? Well, I mean, you want to talk about parochialism you want to talk about nepotism you can't oh, oh i know what's coming now <laughs> i thought you might not pick him on the basis but go on well he's a little bit he's he's a, i mean he's been a bad lad hasn't he lately and got himself fired from sky but i have to put my cousin in uh mr peter Begree. <laughs> yeah uh no you know i'm not particularly fond of him um yeah um just uh, just uh, again old-fashioned bombing winger you know you're talking about ian one being ploddy well peter had a lot of pace and he just did that thing what you want a winger to do get down the wing beat the man cross the ball get down the wing beat the man cross the ball get down the wing beat the man cross the ball and then occasionally if you do score a goal you do a somersault that my dad taught you how to do and then you <laughs> denied it in public since which is a bit of a fib scene as my dad was quite a top class gymnast when he was a kid but there you go um but yeah i think he did the business sort of everywhere he went everton twice uh obviously he's hated on side as well because he he left the club in the middle of the 1986 stuff but i'm i'm kind of on his side with that because if my if my place of work was closing down I would go and get another job somewhere else so I don't think there's anything wrong with leaving the club in the height of the uh in the height of the uh, liquidation business. Uh, but yeah, did the business, I think, Stoke, Bradford City, went to Everton twice. Mm. Uh, just, a, just a very, just a, you know, again, old-fashioned winger, bomb down cross, bomb mm. down cross. He seemed down. to be around forever as well. Like, he never, he, he seemed to, he, he seemed to be someone well, he went who... to up until about 2006. Yeah, yeah he seemed well. to yeah, be So around. he had like a 20-year career, yeah, because he started at Borough, then he went to Stoke, I think. Yeah, and... and he was yeah, playing for that just, Bradford team that came up in the, the late nineties. He was he was brilliant for them, and he you know he yeah. played. I think he played more games for them. I'll just look at now. Scum thought we played one hundred and seventy two, but 
Bradford 132. You'd think he'd played more games for Everton, but actually, no, it was more at Bradford City before they went crazy and started buying Benito Carbone and all that lot. Um, but no, mm. yeah, I, he's, he's somebody who I did come across, two England B caps, but in 1989, when he was at... Stoke or would have been, no Stoke, Everton yeah. or Ever, depending on the timing it would have been Stoke or Everton so yeah he did mm. get England B recognition and under 21 caps as well um, on the other flank I suspect me and Andrew have got the same one after a small conversation we had beforehand so um, who have you got on your right flank Joe uh, I, I, I suspect I thought you might have the same guy but if you've all gone for Andy Inby then I'm going to say real Fox <laughs> <laughs> it was one or the other <laughs> No, I did have Real Fox written down, actually. I didn't have Andy and B. Uh, another one, another Geordie, although, you know, also Norwich City and, and Tottenham Hotspur. And just, he's an exciting player, isn't he, Real Fox? What a, what a guy he was. He had speed, he had tricks. And again, up and down the wing, goal scoring. It's very peculiar that Newcastle let him go, I thought, because he was completely loved up there. And especially when you got Shearer. Oh, dear me. You know, what a wonderful, exciting, pacey, Oh, yeah, everything. I like Real Fox. Yeah, I like to Real Fox. That's why I picked him as well. Andy Impey's on my bench. But yeah, I picked Real Fox because, yeah, I mean, he just missed out on that kind of Newcastle entertainers era, didn't he? Because he left 95, so kind of in the middle of Kevin Keegan's proper. We, I yeah. love it. We love it if we beat them type reign. Um, but did very well for Spurs. Um, a friend of mine who's a big Spurs fan, season ticket holder, his mum was his mum's first favourite player because he was so quick. It always sticks out in my mind. She's like, well, I used to love Real Fox, um, which is a <laughs> random thing to remember but I, that's something I always remember about Royal Fox but even at Norwich very very highly rated at Norwich as a youngster but as you say lightning lightning quick um, Andrew you've picked him as well I assume I have picked Royal Fox yeah um, of course part of that uh, like you say that Norwich side in the first uh, couple of Premier League seasons when they did really well beat Bayern Munich yeah of course um, it was in that team, yeah. Cup, he won uh, two England B caps in 94 so he was highly thought of and then um, maybe perhaps um you know, got overlooked amongst the other players at Newcastle. Um, you know, in that uh, in that sort of era after leaving Norwich, and then, you know, um, by that time, Terry Venables had kind of moved things on a bit. So, um, especially with the formation that England were playing, and and some of the players that were, I mean, and Steve McManaman maybe might have had yeah. an impact. Darren Anderton, yeah, yeah. He also he went on to play for Montserrat in two thousand and four. He got fed up with waiting for England, so he had, he had, he had two caps. <laughs> I, think, I think by 2004, that ship might have sailed. Yeah, two caps. And he actually managed them as well, which uh, I never realised, um, Royal Fox. So um, I think in, in the early 90s, I was looking at people like Tony Daly that actually got, got ahead of him, Andrew. And so he's somebody you're familiar with. How do they compare Tony Daly and Royal Fox? Pretty similar players, well, weren't they? Very, very similar, in, um, certainly in terms of their pace. I mean, Tony Daly is also another one who's lightning quick. Um Daily, yeah, Daily Real Fox. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Daily was probably the sh- uh, day the sharper of the two. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a bit biased there, but Real Fox certainly had his moments. So I have to say that um, Ash, you might be the only one who is sort of thinking, looking at the Euro 2004 squad and going, Real Fox cruelly overlooked again. I'm surprised <laughs> he's chosen Mon- <laughs> How dare Montserrat steal Real Fox from our grass? But yeah, so um, we're quite similar. I think it's not surprised we've got quite similar midfields because I do think that was the the hardest pick across the decade. I don't know what that says about England's midfielders, but you say left wing especially, where we tried literally everyone bar Ian Wone in the 1990s. Um, so let's go up front. Again, quite a few options here. Um, so it'd be interesting to see where everyone has gone. Um, Andrew, let's go to you first. Your first striker for your uncapped 11. Well, I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go purely with the statistics for the moment, um, and I'm going We've to go all got with... the same one then. <laughs> 
I'm going to go with the highest scoring Premier League striker who is uncapped. Um, do we know who that is, fellas? That would be Kevin Campbell. It would be Kevin Campbell. Yeah. Of, uh, of uh, obviously Arsenal fame. Um, yeah, so Kevin Campbell, um, once again, another player who perhaps um, was deemed to be just that little bit sort of not flashy enough. Uh, got a few goals. Um, perhaps overshadowed by some of the other players that Arsenal had around that era. Um, and just, you know, just a really solid sort of, I guess, what, one in three, would you say, a, a regular ratio for uh, for Kevin Campbell? You know, and that, that you know, that that's normally quite quite good for a striker. Normally, these days would get you an England call-up, but uh, not in them days, especially, as you say, Ash, with the, you know, the plethora of strikers around that time, with the likes of, you know, obviously Shearer, Les Ferdinand, it's, uh, et cetera, it's Teddy Sheringham, of course, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think the disclaimer you have to say for all these strikers we're going to mention is that they were in an era where it was bastard hard to get into the England squad because <laughs> yeah, it, there were so many great, great strikers, as we mentioned at the top of the show. Robbie Fowler, it took him a year after he scored, he was top scorer in the Premier League almost, to to get into the England squad. Um, I did leave, I left Campbell on my bench purely because I, if he was, was never really good enough to get consistently past Ian Wright and Alan Smith he wasn't good enough for England that was my only sort of disclaimer to him um, although his goal scoring record does speak for itself especially later at Everton um, anything more to add there Joe have you seen as you picked him as well uh, I think 46 goals in his in the title winning season at Arsenal I think uh, he's still he's 76 Premier League goals puts him 19th on the list of all time and I suspect if you did one of those uh, that's not bad quizzes, yeah that's, that's that's good isn't it you know yeah. across for somebody who wasn't Considered really good enough, I think. Yeah, I would. I would have definitely gone Kevin Campbell. Uh, just a big, you know, a, a big toughie up front. Sometimes you want that. He did well at Everton in that team. I so, think yeah. I remember him doing. I think he was too much of an Ian Wright shade, and Ian Wright didn't really ever get a consistent look in for England as he was. And I think that was the problem at Arsenal. I think he was so much in Ian Wright's shadow that everyone kind of focused on righty and and forgotten. Didn't really see the the statistics because I wasn't aware. He was nineteenth. That's a, that's really shocking. Um, I'll pick my. Um, First striker then that I've got on my list. Somebody close, very, very close to uh, Andrew Rayburn's height, I imagine. Dalian Atkinson. Um, yes. Of yeah, Aston very Villa. sad, obviously, about, uh, about Dalian. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, Tell us more. You, you know more about you would see. You've seen him close. I mean, the, the memory I have mainly, of course, is that goal against Wimbledon. But that partnership uh, with Dean Saunders. Um, he's, I mean, his goal scoring record probably is the thing that held him back because it was more of a sort of ten to twelve goal a season rather than a twenty goal. But I always found that he was kind of he, he played well in a partnership, held the ball up well, had more about him than everyone thought. Lovely touch, quite a big guy. I mean, what do you remember him from at Villa? Well, that's what I would. You know what I was about to say. He was he was one of those ones who was uh, made for the phrase. You know, good t- a good touch for a, for a, for a big guy. You know, and yeah, sometimes he could. You know, he could look at times as as graceful as he could look inelegant at times. Sometimes, Dalian. Um, but he 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 moved across the floor with the ball. He moved across the floor really well. Um, linked up with uh, Dean Saunders very well. Part of that team that won the '94 uh, League Cup, uh, beating Manchester United. Um, and yeah, no, I love the bloke. Uh, it's a bit, um, and uh, you know, reasonable scoring record. Um, but yeah, no, a, a fantastic, all, a sort of a good all-round striker who sort of did lots of bits. Um, and perhaps uh, goals, out and out goal scoring side of it was perhaps um, um, uh, put to one side maybe because of that. He was sort of chipped in in and around the team, if you like. 
Yeah, no, I, I, and obviously we mentioned that goal with the umbrella. It's obviously one of the most famous uh, images from the early Premier Leagues and obviously sad news for um, him. Was it two years ago that he passed away? Now it feels like it probably is now, which is very sad. Did win one England B cap in a, and scored a goal actually in a 4-1 loss to Ireland in March 1990. Um, OK, well, last player each then. Um, Andrew, who is your, who's completing your lineup and your front line for the uncapped eleven? Um, I've gone with someone who, again, I really, really liked as a player. And I've gone with Rod Wallace. Yeah, he's definitely one I looked at. But yeah, uh, we'll all remember that goal against Leeds. But tell us more about Rod. Yeah, Rod, uh, more than 50 goals, I think, in, uh, you know, about one in four record for Leeds United. But of course, part of that, uh, uh, you know, that Leeds United team throughout the throughout the 90s, um, injury record didn't help him. Um, you know, you, um, and in fact, I think he, he pulled out injured um when called up for uh, England under Graham Taylor, um, went on to then uh, went on to then play for for, for Gillingham, who are my dad's team. Um, just a, a really good sort of busy striker, I would call Rob yeah. Wallace. Um, you know, quite a, quite a busy uh, individual, and uh, yeah, popped up with uh, popped up with a few goals uh, here and there. I think he really went on a a bit of a spree, didn't he? Sort of um, in the mid nineties, and maybe his goal scoring record either side wasn't as good. Mm, yeah, and that goal for Leeds against Tottenham that was goal of the season in 1994 is one of, one of the most retweeted tweets we've ever done, actually. Um, that game you mentioned, he, he did get a call up in 1992, was a friendly with Spain, uh, where England wore the uh, the Cowardly Lion kit, one of my favourite kits of all time, for the only the second time. Uh, he did wear an England B cap um, in March 1990, uh, for again, a 2-0 win against Czechoslovakia. Um, he scored 21 goals for Southampton in 1990 as well, so he, was, you know, he, was, he wasn't just Leeds, he's well remembered. Um, Joel, is Rod Wallace the final name in yours or have you got somebody else he's not but somebody else from Leeds and I'm just going to them purely because of their record at Leeds from 1990 to uh, 1993 and somebody who won the league title at Leeds scoring 62 goals and I think 137 appearances Lee Chapman Lee Chapman Lee Chapman Mrs Leslie Ash exactly yeah somebody who started playing in uh, 1978 <laughs> my, my, my research my god but uh, yeah, I just thought for again, it's that thing of a league-winning striker who scored. I think it was like seventeen goals in that season that Leeds won the league, um, and not even a sniff, you know. But but obviously, owner of the most famous sofa in uh, England for one point because obviously ITV went and filmed round his house yeah. while him, Cantona, David Batty, and. Uh, McAllister were watching Man United on the telly and all the other lads, you know, the, the English, Scottish lads are cheering and Cantona's just sat there absolutely nonplussed. They're all wearing very nice shell suit bottoms, by the way. But yeah, um, I mean, for a lot of people, he'll be the definition of a sort of flash 80s, early 90s earring sort of Charlie Nicholas type player I suppose but uh, yeah I don't mind a bit of arrogance on a football pitch now and again he was very good though very I mean he, he was again he was the typical number nine of that era wasn't he where you'd play a little guy next to him and he'd, he'd yeah. do a lot of the hold up play but also great in the air um, great striker to an England under 21 cap and an England B cap in 91 it is very strange not quite as strange as the anomaly of Steve Bruce but Graham Taylor seemed to ignore that Leeds team for Euro 92 didn't he Despite mm-hmm. the fact that they'd won the league quite impressively as well. I think only Tony DiRigo at the top of my head was in that Euro 92. David Batty might have been as well in that Euro 92 squad. Yet we've mentioned three or four players there that probably deserved at least a sniff when, the, when you look at that squad. And no disrespect to the likes of Keith Curl and maybe even Andy Sinton um, went to... Um, to Sweden for for that tournament. Um, well, the, the one that makes I had Lee Chapman on my reserve list. Um, the others that I kind of looked at: Darren Huckabee, 
possibly from mm. the late 90s. Um, remember that goal for Coventry against Man United? But again, by that point, we had so many strikers. Um, Dean Holdsworth is somebody who uh, was a shout on Twitter and had some gr- a great record at England B. Um, Andy Ritchie was somebody mentioned to me on Twitter and possibly a, a stretch too far. Um, yeah. And Mike Newell, again, maybe more 80s. But the one I've gone for, um, and an unbelievable score record that I didn't really realise, never got a sniff, but his strike partners always used to, Mark Bright. Yeah, I looked at him. Yeah, he's somebody like if you look at his goal scoring record across the Premier League years specifically, like twenty goals, twenty three goals, thirteen, fourteen. It's pretty. He's there. He's always there or thereabouts. And again, I think maybe uh, he lived in Ian Wright's shadow in the Crystal Palace years when it was bright and bright. And then obviously David Hurst seems to get more of the headlines when he was at Sheffield Wednesday and somebody who never really got going for England either, David Hurst. Um, but always uh, very good in the air. Another sort of archetypal number nine but I thought he was a bit more intelligent than you just you hold up play and just you know lump it forward to Brighty up front um interviewed him a couple of times always comes across as a really really nice guy as well he's come he's become kind of Mr Palace so yeah I gave um him uh, the, the, the nod actually he's Sheffield Wednesday's top ever Premier League goal scorer which uh, I mean when you think about some of the players that played for him maybe that's not of a surprise but still showed that he put in a shift there for Sheffield Wednesday so yeah I went for um, Mark Bright um, any other names I haven't mentioned there Andrew you sort of looked at when you were picking your strikers um, yeah I'll just give you something that might scare the life out of you Lee Chapman is now 58 only 58 <laughs> I thought you'd be like 108 by now <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I looked at someone who um, I, who I know was a little bit maligned during uh, the 1990s, but still had a solid scoring record. I think maligned maybe for uh, uh, perhaps a slightly unsuccessful move to Spurs, and that's Chris Armstrong. Yeah, yeah. He, he said, when, when we first talked about this, he instantly came in mind. I never went back to, actually. But yeah, he was really rated at Palace, wasn't he? Mm. Um, believe it or not, I mean, I, again, we've all done our research on this. Um, he won an England B cap in 1994, one of those games against Northern Ireland that you mentioned uh, Ash, and then received a call up by Kevin Keegan for his uh, that game against Poland in March 1999. So uh, you know he was still being considered in the mix, yeah, um, right up to the end of end of the decade. Um, there must have been like, a few uh, injuries that day. <laughs> yeah, well, um, and I think also Lee Dixon is the uh, Lee Dixon is one of the few players to have won an England cap in both 1990 and 1999. Yeah, it was the um, the France friendly, wasn't it? If I remember rightly, under Howard Wilkinson, didn't he call up Lee Dixon for that yes. game? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and the other two names that I've got, um, one player here who did well in um, the first season, he did well in the Football League and then did well in his first season in the Premier League, um, fired his team to, to seventh, one of the top scorers in, I think, 95-96, and that's Andy Booth. Yeah, later played yeah. for Tottenham, yeah. Yeah, had that yeah, yeah, so spell. loads of goals in the Football League um, and then signed for Sheffield Wednesday and, and um, scored 13 Premier League goals in 95-96. That's not enough to play for England, no. uh, but it's, um, it's, it's worth mentioning. And I want to put in another player, sorry, I'm going to mention him, but just because I love the bloke, and he's still playing at the age of 44, uh, Julian Joachim. Oh, Julian oh, Joachim, yeah. Yeah. He was he was so rated as a kid, wasn't he? That was one that he was always like it, 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 when you picked up four four two every month. He was he seemed to be in the boys a bit special every yeah. single month. Yeah. Julian George, yeah. <laughs> Villa Villa just never worked out a Villa for him, did it? What what been wrong with Villa for Julian George, Andrew? Uh, a lot of other players. Um, I mean, we had so many strikers in that sort of uh, late nineties period. Um, obviously, uh, you know, we had uh, sort of Paul, the Paul Merson, Dion Dublin, 
arrivals um, in the uh, 98-99, whenever that was. Um, you, you know, before that, you know, there were just there were just other striking options, and Joachim perhaps wasn't. He still scored um, about I think well, he's looking here sixty four goals in. Uh, well, that's across that's across two clubs. Sixty four league goals in two hundred forty games for Leicester and Villa across the nineties. But uh, and he won England under twenty one caps. Bizarrely, um, he was also called up by St Vincent and the Grenadines, but wasn't eligible because he played for England under twenty ones. But think... he would be eligible under the current rules. Yeah, so the rules have changed. Yeah, they were going back to John Lucas. Apparently, at some point, he's got Yugoslavian ancestry and was actually in contention to play for Yugoslavia, which is a very bizarre story. If that if that had come <laughs> off, um, well, we, we, yeah, but I mean, wasn't Manuel Almunia? punted about from yeah. playing at England at one point. Yeah, Mikel Arteta as well, I think, because he could have got citizenship yep. at some point. He was, but yeah, I mean, it's always kind of there was that big row with um, Adnan Janazai, wasn't they, when he was first coming through, and now no one really cares if he's whatever nationality he plays for. Although he did score against England in the World Cup in the summer. Um, but oh, Joe, anyone else we haven't mentioned? I don't think I think we've pretty much covered everybody possible. We hasn't had a cap. I don't know if there's any more names you had. Jamie Pollock. I, I will talk about Jamie Pollock to the cows come home, just so I can talk about that Man City goal in '98. So, um, yeah, winner, yeah, that winner, that, that own goal, that, well, probably the best goal of all time, bar that Huddersfield bloke who scored the other week in the Carabao Cup, which was also a beauty. Um, well, thank you very much, chaps. Um, let's just quickly run through each team. So, my team was John Lukic, Steve Watson, Clive Wilson, Steve Bruce. Gary Ablett, then Mark Draper, Paul Davis, Rule Fox, Ian Wone, and out front I had Dalian Atkinson and Mark Bright. Uh, Andrew, just recall your team. Um, well, I went for Steve Grizovich in goal, um, Steve Watson, Steve Bruce, David May, and John Beresford across the back. Uh, right to left, Rule Fox, uh, Gary Flickcroft, uh, Paul Davis, and Ian Wone. Um, and then uh, Kevin Campbell and Rob Wallace up front. And Joe, finally, to finish us off, what was your team? Uh, John Lukic, Julian Dix, Steve Bruce, the uh, omnipotent, omniscient one, uh, <laughs> Dean Richards, Neil Cox, uh, Peter Beagree, Paul Davies, Lee Clark, Rule Fox, Kevin Campbell, Lee Chapman. That's a quite that's a lovely mix of players, that is. I think we've done well there. Um, tell us yours. I'm sure there's names we may have forgotten. I don't know. that We've stretched it a lot there. But if there is any names that we've forgotten or you want to put yourself to a team, you know where we are on Twitter, at AK90s. Write it in a tweet or even write it on a note thing and screen grab it and stick it on Twitter um, or Instagram. We are on Instagram as well, at AK90s pod. Uh, tell us who you would have in your uncapped 11 of the 90s. Um, well, that's all from us. Uh, just reminds to thank you to the chaps. Uh, Joe, as always, you're in and out social media but where are you where can people find you i'm all right yeah uh at joel baby herc uh it's been uh i've been sort of dipping back in i i, I did a nice tweet about west ham and alan pardew the other day which i was quite pleased with oh <laughs> signing tevez and mascarada yeah. yeah if ever i struggle at a task in life i remember that pardew signed <laughs> tevez and mascarano and i realized that life isn't so bad after all there you go but, um, yeah andrew if people want to get in touch with you where can they find you on the social uh, yeah, uh, Twitter, Andrew underscore Rayburn, R-A-E-B-U-R-N. Brilliant, good stuff. Thank you very much, chaps. If you want to follow the show, as I said, at AK90s, I'm at Ash Rose UK. Uh, we'll be back next week with more this week in the 90s. Enjoy the England friendlies and that whatever it's called, Nations Cup. There'll be some podcasts in a few years talking about this and baffled by it because I'm already baffled by it. But until next time, as always, keep it 90s. Hello.